This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. When your personal investments need help to reach your retirement dreams and navigating the complex world of financial planning requires an experienced manager, that's when you know you're ready for prime time. Welcome to Prime Time Money on Zoomer Radio with Richard Infantino, Senior Wealth Advisor at RBC Dominion Securities. Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Canada's only money show dedicated to those of you 50-plus and your overall investment, tax, and estate planning, and your direct link to all of North America's top money managers with the best ideas on how you can grow your money. You know what? I want to tell you about our seminar that we just had uh, last Wednesday. We had over 80 attendees there, so if you couldn't make it, um, we've put together, and RBC has put together a special handout called 2022 Year-End Tax Planning Guide. So it's uh, about five pages long. It has all the information on uh, capital gains deferrals, uh, tax loss selling, year-end bonus planning, year-end income, tax installments, how to make charitable donations using uh, common stock, TFSA contributions, RRSP contributions when you're turning 71, uh, rules on RESP, registered educational savings plans, capital gain uh, realized inside of uh, trust, tax shelters, uh, interest on family loans. So it has everything to do with year-end tax planning. It could save you a lot of money. If you'd like to get a copy of it and you couldn't make it out, we have some slides available for you too. All you got to do is give Dominic a call at one 891 26 37. That's one 891 2637 You can give a call now or after the uh, show. And uh, our next workshop that's going to be coming up is going to be on November the 16th. And um, as you know, we specialize in, in uh, RIFs, you know, registered regi- registered um, income funds and uh, LIFs. So that's those are the locked-in income funds. So we're going to go into a special seminar just on that. So if you're uh, going into a RIF or you're thinking about starting a RIF early or you have an existing RIF and you want to have it uh, be more efficient, uh, come on out to that seminar. So it's going to be on uh, November the 16th and it'll be in Mississauga. So we talk about how to consolidate your accounts, how to you know basically unlock 50% of your LIF account, uh, how to cash flow generate inside of your RIF and your LIF account, what's the best way to allocate your assets inside of these accounts. So everything to do with that. Now we've been doing this for 30 years, so uh, we've been specializing in RIFs, so I'd like you to come out and take a look at what um, you know, what the things you may not know about in terms of estate planning with RIFs and all those types of things. So if you'd like to register, uh, call Dominic again, one 891 2637 You can go to the website, and that's primetimemoney, all one word, dot C-A. And all you got to do is just type in your, uh, your uh, email address in there, and Dominic will uh, send you out an, an invite. So just type in your email address where it says uh, register for the seminar, and that's all that we need for you to come on out on November the 16th. So come on out and join us for Riff and Lift uh, Workshop. Okay, the U.S. market is doing a lot better these days, but where are the opportunities? Stay right there. Denny Telefer of Caldwell Investments is going to join us to give us his best ideas. I'm Richard Infantino, and you're listening to Primetime Money. Okay, we're back. I'm Richard Infantino, and you're listening to Primetime Money. And joining us now is Denny Telefer, who is the uh, Senior Portfolio Manager at Caldwell Investment Management Limited. Hey, good morning, Denny. Thanks for uh, taking the time here to join us. 
Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me, Richard. Oh, great having you. Um, you know, your strategy uh, with uh, your Caldwell Fund is uh, basically focusing on dividend growers. And on this show, that, that's all we talk about. And everybody, uh, you know, most of the people that listen to the show anyway are um, focused on income and getting dividends. So um, when you refer to uh, dividend growth portfolios, you talk about them as all-weather portfolios. What do, what, do, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so, so what we mean by that is that, you know, dividend growers as a whole, they tend to outperform across just about every type of economic environment. Okay. And there are several studies that kind of will back this. Uh, one of the studies that we like to refer to was from a, uh, a company in the U.S. called Ned Research. And they compared the performance of dividend payers and of dividend growers to non-dividend paying stocks over a period of 50 years. And so the study covered several economic periods, right, from economic expansions to recessions. It covered periods of rising rates and falling rates. It also compared different uh, periods, like uh, different inflationary periods, right? Mm -hmm. And so the study showed that dividend payers outperformed non-dividend payers in most scenarios, not all, but most. But dividend growers, for their part, they outperformed in every scenario, including inflationary periods where, where dividend growers outperformed significantly. And that really points to their ability to, to protect that future cash or that future purchasing power uh, of an investor's uh, cash flow streams. So they're very good um, hedge against, against inflation. Now, the study, I must caution, is um, they removed the dividend cutters from the performance numbers. And they actually classified the dividend cutters in their own category. So needless to say, you know, dividend cutters underperformed you know, significantly in every economic scenario. Uh, but the study, um, although has, you know, that survivorship bias, it, it still highlights how well the quality dividend growers perform over time in different economic environments. Okay. And that really speaks to the characteristics of dividend growers, right, and how their, their dividend streams will provide a, a mitigating effect in down markets, but as well, they offer you know, an enhanced return in the form of a growing cash flow stream and a potential for capital appreciation in rising markets. So over time, uh, they tend to be much better uh, risk-adjusted return type uh, investments. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, the, the thing, folks, when, you, when you're listening to dividend growers, that, that, that means companies that year after year, and some of them have gone five years, 10 years, some have gone 50 and 60 years, where every year they give you a little bit more of a dividend. And that's what uh, Denny's talking about in terms of a dividend grower. Now, on the other side of the coin, you have what's called the dividend cutters. Now, like, how do you avoid, uh, you know, how do you stay away from the dividend cutters, Denny? Yeah, so obviously it, it's very important to avoid companies that are at risk of cutting your dividends. Yeah. Uh, I can't emphasize that enough because that really destroys value uh, in an investment portfolio. Um, you know, so our, our investment process is twofold. We, we have a front end of our process, which is really driven uh, by a quantitative momentum model, and that really helps guide us in our, our stock selection. But then we have the back end of our process, and that's really where we do our due diligence of every company under consideration. And and in that due diligence, we spend a lot of time looking at two things. We, we look for positive, positive catalysts in the investment candidates we're looking at, because the, the positive catalyst is what will drive continued momentum in the stock. But we also spend a lot of time trying to find any possible red flags that would indicate that the, the dividend stream could be at risk. So some of these flags are you know, fairly easy to spot. You know, Companies that have very high dividend yields or very high debt levels, high payout ratios, those are situations that uh, are usually not sustainable. But other flags are, are stealthier, right? And so we, we try to look for early indicators like deteriorating financial ratios, right? Uh, we also look for, we look for the, the evolution or the trends in the debt burden and the payout ratio of companies. So although a company may have you know, a debt burden that looks very appropriate in a, uh, a low payout ratio, um, if that 
if that debt burden over time is steadily increasing, as well as the, the payout ratio, that could be an indication that they're using their balance sheet to fund that dividend growth. Okay. And that works until it doesn't work anymore. So we're always very careful with, uh, with those types of trends because we know that could be an indication that uh, they could be at risk at cutting their dividends uh, on a forward basis. Yeah, sure. Now, the fund that you manage is called the Caldwell U.S. Dividend Advantage Fund, and you know it's outperformed uh, this year dramatically uh, year-to-date. Like, what's... Like what? What did you do there that has been able to position you to to get those better returns? And and, and what are you doing going into twenty twenty three? Yeah, so we've had a uh, a pretty good year uh, from a relative standpoint uh, year to date. Um, so you know earlier in the year we were I'd say we were more tilted towards the the value or the cyclical parts of the market. So we were underweight areas like technology, and we were overweight sectors like energy and and certain parts of the industrial sector, um, such as the U.S. defense contractors. Uh, we've also held a fairly significant amount of cash, and that's part of our, our strategy, right, because it's a, there's a momentum uh, aspect tied to it. When the market is selling off in a bear market, there's not many companies that have good momentum, so uh, we didn't have many opportunities uh, to invest, so we held a little more cash uh, for better part of the year. Um, and so they all kind of contributed to our, our relative outperformance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, given where we are now, we still think there's risk in the in the uh, from the macroeconomic standpoint, and we think the, the the possibility of a recession obviously is is kind of increasing. So, so we still kind of like uh, the sectors we're in. Uh, but more recently, we we have made uh, some additions to the portfolio, and we've been uh, adding to our. U.S. healthcare exposure, okay. um, as well. We've added to some consumer exposure, but we're being, you know, very selective uh, around the consumer. So we're really focused on companies that we think have a really good growth profile. But as well, we're looking for companies that we think are, are more will be more resilient in the event of an economic soft patch. So, so what, what were the names? Like, what, what companies did you invest in? Sure. So uh, on the on the healthcare side, we invested in a company called McKesson Corporation. So they're a leading wholesaler distributor of prescription drugs and surgical supplies in the U.S. They, they also happen to be the, um, they won the contract to be the centralized distributor of the, uh, the COVID-19 vaccines. So, you know, we really like them because the, the industry they're in is uh, fairly, there's a lot of regulatory uh, requirements, so there's very high barriers to entry, and scale is critical in that, uh, in that industry. So the, the industry is dominated by three players. They have about 90% market share, and McKesson has about 30% market share. So they've got the scale. It gives them the benefit. They've got the purchasing power, which allows them to negotiate, you know, better uh, discounts on the drugs. Um, and uh, and as well, we you know we like the industry. There's good secular tailwinds, right? So your right. demographics, aging population, uh, tend to buy. Um, you know, you have good long-term growth. Uh, they'll buy more prescription uh, medications. There's a good cyclical recovery as well. Uh, there was a. Uh, Prescriptions really came down during the uh, COVID lockdowns, so we're starting to see that really recovery as uh, recover as things get back to normal. And this company g- generates a ton of cash flow, and they're very shareholder friendly. So they, um, you know, they've been consistently growing their dividend, and they uh, they do a lot of share buybacks as well. So it's a very it really fits the uh, the strategy that we have very well. Yeah, that's an excellent idea. That's all the time that we have, Dennis. Denny, uh, thanks for. Uh taking the time to join us and uh, continue success with your uh, U.S. Dividend Advantage Fund. Excellent. Thank you, Richard. Take care. Bye. Bye. Okay, that was Denny Telefer. He's the Senior Portfolio Manager at Caldwell Investment uh, Management Limited. And the fund that he manages is called the U.S. Dividend Advantage Fund. And uh, again, he's done a great job there to outperform uh, most of the funds in his uh, category there. So if you'd like to get the information on that, just go to our, our website and look under In the Money 
And then there was a posting there of the U.S. Dividend Advantage Fund. And remember, commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund and ETF investments. The distributions are not guaranteed and they may fluctuate. Please read the prospectus before you invest. Mutual funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. This show is sponsored in part by Caldwell Investment Management Limited. Now, October has been known as a bear market killer. Well, one of the people that has done the research on that is uh, Brooke Thackeray, and he has a newsletter that talks all about that. They're right there, and he's going to explain. I'm Richard Infantino, and you're listening to Primetime Money. Okay, we're back. Uh, Joining us now is Brooke Thackeray, and he has a newsletter called Thackeray Newsletter, but he's also um, a portfolio manager with Horizons ETFs. Hey, good morning, Brooke. Thanks for uh, taking the time to join us here today. Well, thank you for having me on the show. Well, you know, it's that time of year. We're into October now in the market, and I know that you publish a a great newsletter out there, and uh, we wanted to talk to you about seasonality and, um, you know, October. And, uh, you know, in the past, it's been known as, you know, basically a bear market killer. Tell us all about that. Yeah, so if we take a look historically, from 1950 to, well, to this year, let's take a look at uh, the corrections and the bear markets that have occurred. So corrections when the S&P 500 or any stock market goes down by 10% or more, but less than 20%. And a bear market is when a stock market goes down by more than 20%. And that's what we've had this year. And so here we are in in a bear market, and investors are concerned, but they're starting to worry a little bit. But this this is a normal bear market that we've experienced really since 1950. Um, as far as the you know it's down well it's down around 25 percent at one point, but the average bear market goes down by 33 percent. The average bear market lasts you know a little bit longer than what we've had right now. So we haven't really experienced anything out of the ordinary yet. But I've got some good news, and that is that October tends to be a bear market killer. And what I mean by that is uh, and a lot of the corrections and bear markets historically have ended in, um, in October, and the market has rallied into the, into the new year. In fact, since 1950, uh, 12 of the bear markets, so about a third of the bear markets, have ended just in October alone. So that's one month out of 12, and here you have a third of the bear markets ending. So that's, that's, a, that's a huge ratio. So that's actually good news, and hopefully we've uh, found a bottom for the market here. It doesn't mean it's going to happen for sure. Maybe, maybe it's next month. Maybe it's the month after. But uh, usually around this time of the year, from a seasonal point of view, uh, it's, uh, the stock market tends to end its, its bear market. Yeah, well, that's, that's great news. And, um, you know, things have been, looks like, you know, in the last week, are going true to to what you're talking about there. It seems like it's starting to bounce here a bit. So hopefully that, you know, it'll bounce around here, find its bottom and, uh, you know, proceed forward. That's that's what we're hoping for, for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's, I think everybody's hoping for that. Um, and, but, uh, you know, we have seen a little bit of strength in the market, which, which is also good. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, uh, we can't tell precisely. Is it, is it this date as happens? But, uh you know, just looking at probabilities. Well, that's really what you're trying to do. Yeah. In investing, you're trying yeah. to increase your probabilities. And that's, uh, from a seasonal point of view, this is usually a good time to be entering or increasing equities in the market. Yeah, that's the other part. So uh, according to your uh, thesis there in terms of seasonality, this, you know, for October, November, December, January, aren't those the best months to be investing? Yeah, well, the two best 
contiguous months of the year are November and December. So okay. here we are. We're we're on the threshold of November, and uh, you know it's it's good to have a seasonal tailwind helping you out. And, and you know, given the markets come down so much, uh, you know, investors may be trying to move in towards towards the end of the year and say, well, I want to get what I can as if the market starts to go up before. Um, so we may see, you know, more interest in the market of investors just trying to take a position before the year end. Yeah. And that, uh, that's worked out in the past, and hopefully it, uh, it, it's the same this year. Now, part of your your, um, your newsletter, again, here, talks about seasonal opportunities. Like, could you talk about, maybe, let's talk about maybe two areas that you feel that, according to your thesis there, are good uh, opportunities here going into uh, November yeah, and December. Yeah, so I think uh, there's, you know, because seasonals also work with the sectors of the market. Yeah. What I mean by sectors are, you know, pieces of the market that are representing the economy, like industrials or materials or technology. And so they, those sectors tend to have seasonal trends of when they do well. And, uh, you know, if we take a look at a couple of them, let's take a look at two of them. Uh, the industrial sector tends to perform well at this time of the year as we move in towards the end of the year. And that's we, there's an economic uh, seasonality as well where the economy tends to pick up coming into, into Q4 and investors anticipate that. And so they enter into the industrial sector. So industrial stocks um, uh, are what they're, uh, they tend to focus on. And so you find the industrial sector tending to do well at this time of year. Another one for Canadians as well, uh, particularly, would be the Canadian banks. Canadian banks tend to do well at this time of the year. And the reason why that happens is they released their Q4 earnings. Their Q4, their, the Canadian banks have their year-end on October 31st, and they usually release their earnings uh, the last week of November. And this is for the full year. So this is when most dividend increases occur. This is when most uh, stock splits occur for the banks. Nothing is going to happen this time around. But that's when those things happen. And they tend to give a, a fairly positive outlook for the next year as well. And so that investors uh, anticipate this and they enter into banking stocks around this time of the year. Uh, so you find that Canadian banks can do well at this time uh, on a seasonal basis. Yeah, that, that, that's great because, you know, uh, the first time in a long time they've had a, a bit of a rough year too, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, here at Canadian Banks, they, they pay a higher dividend, dividend rate, in the market. Yeah. 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 And, you know, so people look at that and it's an oligopoly. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, they've, they've, you know, they've been, <laughs> uh, you know, they, they're still performing poorly this year like the, the other sectors of the market. But this is, they do have a seasonal tailwind at this, at this time of the year. Yeah, that's great. Um, the, the one other one, well, one more question. I know you're busy. Um, I see that uranium. Interesting. This is a strong time for uranium. Yeah, so yeah. uranium. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it tends to do well at this time of the year, and from a, it's a long duration. It's not a lot of people buy uranium, yeah. obviously. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's countries, um, and you know the couple ETFs. Um, so it's. it's you know, it in and it's production cycles all year, but it still has a seasonal trend. And, and the seasonal trend comes down to uh usually towards late September uh into January it tends to perform well. And and that's being driven by the World Nuclear Association meets in September and after that date that's when the orders start to occur for, for uranium as the buyers tend to be more comfortable with the outlook for uranium. And we've seen a lot of countries uh, stepping up and saying, you know, uranium has to be, nuclear power has to be part of the green solution. There's no way we can, you know, it can't all be solar and wind. We know that. And so countries are now 
same, taking that position, and they're extending the life of the nuclear plants or, uh, you know, increasing commitment to use more nuclear plants as well. Yeah. So this, that's a, a fundamental driver behind this, but on a seasonal basis, this tends to be a good time to be getting into the uranium sector. Well, those are all great ideas, uh, Brooke. Thanks again for, you know, uh, helping out with the show, and we uh, appreciate all your insights into the market. Well, th- thank you for having me on the show. All right, you take care. Okay, then. Goodbye. Thanks. Okay, that was uh, Brooke Thackeray. He's a research analyst with Horizons ETFs, and uh, he has his own company well, as well that does uh, research and analysis. And we have copies of uh, Brooke's newsletter if you'd like to get a free copy. It's the October Bear Market Killer, and it talks about the S&P 500 utilities. It has good news, the opportunity that's in transportation, Canadian banks that he talked about, um, healthcare, technology, agriculture, energy, natural gas, and of course, he talked a little bit about uranium. So all that information is packed into 14 pages, and it's free for the asking. All you got to do is give Dominique a call, and she'll send you out a copy of it. 1-866-891-2637. That's 1-866-891-2637 for a free copy of the Thackeray newsletter that talks about the October bear market killer. So you want to get a copy of that because it gives you some ideas on what's going to be very timely going into the end of the year. Okay, we're just before we close, um, um, with the last rate rise that took place uh, on Wednesday, there's some outstanding opportunity here for you in the fixed income section. I just want to make sure you're aware of what's out there these days. And uh, just because they've gone up, you can lock in some rates over 5% because there's GICs, strip coupon bonds, straight pay bonds, and convertible debentures. Those are all areas of fixed income. Now, in GICs, you can get a one-year GIC of 5.12% and a two-year at 5.35%. And we're being able to get some of those GICs that pay out monthly. Strip coupon bonds, you can get a six-month now for 5.31% and a five-year for 5.9%. Um, that's a strip coupon bond. There's also straight pay bonds. Those are the bonds that pay out the interest. Different than strip coupon bonds that don't pay the interest. So if you need some more information on that, we got a guide for you. Anyway, they have two-year bank bonds. So... You could go to a bank and get a bank bond that pays you 5.6%. And then we have convertible debentures that have moved with the market. And you can get a one-year convertible debenture that's paying 6.56%. These are all outstanding rates. Now, we could be near a peak for this. So I wanted to make sure you have that and you can lock in these rates now. And all you got to do is give Dominic a call and ask for our guide on fixed income. Say, ask for the fixed income guide has all the current rates on all these different areas that you can add to your fixed income section now and lock in these, uh, I think they're, you know, they're pretty good rates. I, don't, I can't see them going much higher than this, folks. So give Dominique a call at 1-866-891-2637. That's 1-866-891-2637 for the fixed income guide. That's all the time we have for today. Uh, have a great week, and we'll see you next time. I'm Richard Infantino, and you're listening to Time Time Money. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.